0: Good evening, everyone. Welcome into the Creighton Volleyball Wrap-Up Podcast. I'm Matt DeMarinis, as always, joined by Megan Epperson. Uh, we are your hosts, and we're here to break down Creighton's sweepy-sweet weekend. I was like, saying sweepy-sweet because it's just like a fun little alliteration there. Jay's swept two matches at home. They're really good at home. Um, So, yeah, we're going to break down those matches for you. If the acoustics sound a little different than normal, it's because I'm in like the entryway of the DJ Sokol Arena because it was the only place I could find to record. So forgive me if that sounds weird on this podcast, but that's the reason. Meg is at home base as always. She's She's got like a little volleyball hub, right? Slash office, slash home office, yeah.
1: Home office, yeah, where I do all my work and sometimes fun things too.
0: <laughs> sometimes fun things too. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Um. So, yeah, Uh, welcome back in. Thanks for tuning in. Let's talk some volleyball. Uh, Creighton was really good this weekend in several phases. uh, As it'll be interesting to see how it carries over now because they have to go on the road again two straight weekends. And if you've paid attention to the home and road splits, um, they're quite contrasting in terms of – especially in terms of offensive production. So, um another gaudy weekend for the Jays offensively. Uh they on Friday they beat Georgetown 25 10, 25 13, 25 18, and they hit 488 as a team, which is the third best mark in program history. Um and then they swept Villanova on Sunday, 25 21, 25 18, 25 14, a progressively dominant match. Like it started out back and forth, but then the Jays um, kind of took it over. They only hit 340 in that one, which, you know, is just only really good, not historically great. Um, So we'll break down both those matches for you. Look ahead to the upcoming slate for the Jays and talk about the Big East a little bit because it got interesting this weekend. And it sets up to be an interesting race for once in, I guess, our Creighton volleyball lives, right? I've been doing it since 2013. You weren't that far behind. It's normally a runaway or a two-team race. This time we got a forehead race this time, so. On to the Hoyas, Meg. Uh, Jays hit 488, nor assist returns. A lot of exciting things out of this match, right? Like, it it almost felt like a... I mean, you come off of a split weekend, right? Um, You you get swept by Marquette, which is probably disappointing for them. And then DePaul was like a dogfight, right? Felt like any of those sets could have gone either way, and the Jays, you know, were able to scrap it out. So like the Georgetown match on Friday, to me, felt like a little bit of a get right, you know, like you get your stud back. I know she's still limited, only played back row, but, you know, some of your swagger, some of your confidence, some of your, you know, your personality returns there. And then you just hit the lights out, really balanced offensively. Like, what did that match feel like to you from the Jays' point of view?
1: Kind of felt like that match where you wanted to be rolling on all cylinders, right, and kind of just get everybody in the groove. And I thought, I mean, they came out, obviously, in set one and just were on fire offensively. So those sorts of sets, I think, build confidence and just feel good. Um, And then, yeah, to get Nora Sis back, obviously, that was emotional for her and you know, a little bit for the team, too. Obviously, she's a big leader for them and somebody who we've, we've talked about does everything at a really high level for Creighton. And just to kind of see her back out there, I think that makes you feel good, makes the crowd feel good. Um, you know, it just kind of builds that confidence within your team and also that sense of joy, too, that you're going to play with. I don't think anybody in the arena can be upset, right, when they see a player who's been injured get back on the court and get an ace, too, for the first ball that she threw over, yeah. which was really cool.
0: Yeah, like a testament to Nora's greatness and to a degree, right? She comes in and after the match she said like the her main objective was just not to cry when she, you know, heard her name announced, like heard the roar of the crowd, saw her teammates reaction, and then she goes back behind the line which is like, you know, you've talked about that a lot. It's a pressure situation back there. You're all alone. You have to really dial in and focus to make sure you nail your serve. Like she was a hot mess back there and still got an ace. So mm-hmm. To get back-to-back, back, I mean, it kind of speaks to Nora's greatness. Like, you know, it's like, that's just how good she is at volleyball. And the fact that she can come back as, you know, what everybody kind of outside the program knows her for, you know, just in a surface-level ability is, like, her hitting her offense, right? But the fact that she's able to come back and play back row, just, like, that's a testament to, like, no, she's actually six rotations. She has multiple skills that she can do at a high level. Serving's one of them, defense is the other, passing, blocking. Like she didn't need to hit to make an impact. And I think that's kind of why Creighton is kind of able to work her back in slowly without having to just totally take the leash off and they can still be a little bit conservative with her with her recovery, but she can also have an impact, right? Like that's that was kind of on display on Friday night. Was like, oh yeah, Nora's good at a lot of stuff.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I, it's one of those things it's like they're not just throwing her in there to get her, you know, some encore experience. Like she's in there to help and make an impact defensively. Right. And although it's not the flashiest part of her typical game, you know, she does make a big impact. And we've seen Creighton struggle a little bit in serve receive too in games at different times. And That sometimes can be just because you're passing next to different people. People are taking on more responsibilities. And for her to be back in that position that she feels really confident, she's a really good passer, people trust her, too, back there to pass and take balls and just put up a really good ball and put it on Kendra's head. So I think that part of her game, that's a good way for her to work back in in that part of her game.
0: Did you laugh when she got the ace on the first serve? Like, it was just (laughs) like, Of course, that's what would happen, right? Yeah, like a little yeah.
1: bit. I think it's just funny. Like, obviously, she's in there and she's like, all right. At that point, you're just like, don't cry, right? Get the ball mm-hmm. over the net. I think we saw that, too, when Jayla Zimmerman came in last year and she's yeah. in there to serve and the crowd's like emotional, right? And it's all it's all of that kind of builds up to it. And obviously, a long road of recovery to get to that point. And then for you to hit a serve and get an ace, back-to-back aces, it's just feel-good moment for her and Helps about that confidence too and maybe a little bit more joy rather than like trying not to cry in that moment.
0: Yeah, for sure. That scoring points probably helps you with the emotions, right? Because, like, oh yeah, I'm I'm back.
1: Like, <laughs> yeah, that's what we're here for.
0: <laughs> it reminded me of like the Steph Curry injury, like when he came back. Yeah, I think he got hurt like late in the season. Um, I think when they the year they won 73 games, and then he came back in that first round and like lit up Portland, you know. Yeah, and he like looked to the crowd and he goes, "I'm back." I'm back. like when Nora got those aces, I was like, "That's like her i 'I'm back' moment right there." Like she just like, <laughs> "Oh yeah," like that's Nora, sis, all American stud, like coming back in after missing five weeks and she's first two serves ace, ace. Like of course, it's crazy. She actually ended up tying her career high in aces that night. You know, like she hadn't done that since her freshman year. Misses five weeks with an abdominal injury, comes in. And, like, three aces to tie her career high after missing five weeks is just insane to me. But it's good to see Nora back, you know, because, like, I don't know. She just – you can tell that she genuinely loves playing volleyball. You know what I mean? I don't even know. She feels like one of those players that is going to play until, like, her body forces her to stop. And even then, she might push a little beyond that. But you can just tell, like, there's a lot of just intrinsic joy with her – out there you know and i think that that has to be infectious to a degree i think you talked about it a little bit there like but for your for her teammates they know she's really good and she's going to help them be better but also just to see her energy is like that's knowing that's coming from your stud is it's got to be a positive impact on the team as well too aside from the volleyball stuff
1: yeah, I think she has that consistent energy. Obviously, you know she's just a very consistent player. She's never too high or too low emotionally. She's usually, if she makes a mistake, she's just gonna keep going after things. And um, it's just that person that I think people can rely on. And obviously, I mean, she's an older player now too in the program, right? She's had a lot of experience. So for younger players that play with her, I think it's somebody that you can trust and look up to. And kind of ride her wave of emotion too and just be like all right we're down whatever like if we hit any issues here in this match like she's not stressed right I don't need to be stressed it's that sort of energy that can just permeate throughout your team
0: uh you know who I thought had a really great match was Kendra Wade so I'm curious what your point of view on her is like I mean obviously the stats are good like eight kills on ten swings no errors uh, 29 assists, eight digs, two blocks. She had an A, so she kind of did her thing, right? Like all the skills on display like she normally does. But the thing that stands out to me, and I'm curious what you think, is the the most sets any Creighton hitter had was 20. So you look at, you know, that's Ava Martin, who's obviously your six-rotation primary pin, right? So you're not, like, it's not shocking that she had the most, but Keanu Schmidt and Destiny and Adam Simpson both had 15. And then Kiara Reinhardt and Ellie Bickelmeyer, who filled in for Anne Marie Remus, who was out with concussion this weekend, they both had nine. And then Kendra called her number ten times. Like, that's a really good balance there. Like, what what do you think was going through Kendra's mind? And in, in terms of her kind of decision making and distribution to have it that balanced, and you know, kind of see an efficient night from a lot of different hitters too. I think all of them except for Bickelmeyer, hit four hundred plus. You know, that's crazy.
1: Yeah, these are crazy numbers. Um, obviously. And I think like you said, just the way it was spread, I think to have one of your outsides have the same amount of attempts as a middle is really impressive. And it speaks a lot, I thought, you know, Creighton's passport. And she had options to run herself as an option, right? And to run middles to push to that outsides when she had to but there weren't a lot of times where it was like desperation like please bail us out to the outside Mm -hmm. sorts of things and see when you're out of system so I just thought you know from that standpoint a lot of credit to the passers but also yeah to Kendra I think knowing when to call her own number obviously to hit 800 and have eight kills on dumps is just yeah it's okay you just don't see that across the nation right for setters so that's impressive and Um, yeah the middle just efficiency and outside efficiency I mean really I think this is a game where people can look back and just build some confidence as far as offense goes because you know there it's been a little bit up and down with offense I don't think this team changed their hat right like on offense like oh we're just an incredible offensive team they've struggled some in that aspect so as much as you can build confidence and get those connections down with hitters and just feel good about like the plays that you're running I think it just helps you out
0: Yeah. And the other crazy stat from this game that just like kind of hits you in the head when you when you think about it, I mean, I guess the when you look at the scores, it probably isn't terribly shocking. But Georgetown only had one scoring run the whole match, and it came on the hundredth rally, like that's when it started. So like they were just not in this thing at all. It was, I mean, I think that's like, I mean, obviously Creighton hit well, so that translates, right? You figure if you're hitting dang near five hundred, it's probably you're probably not giving up a lot of consecutive points but i don't know it just like it just felt like a really dominant clean performance and I, I think those are when you factor in nora coming back and playing a role and then you see a clean efficient performance offensively and then you pair it with like good sound defense and passing and serving i don't know like the performance itself even though it's georgetown has to be up there with one of the best performances they've had this season like opponent aside Creighton played a really clean match on Friday, and that's got to be something that builds their confidence coming off of a weekend where, you know, like we talked about, end game was a struggle against Marquette. DePaul was kind of an up-and-down match that either team could have won. Like, last weekend wasn't really consistent play. Friday is a good example of what it kind of looks like when everybody's dialed in and kind of all phases are playing at a pretty high level, isn't it?
1: Yeah, for sure. And I think the other impressive thing about that is you don't have Ann marie Remes in there, who's been a consistent middle presence for them basically the entire season. I mean, she hasn't come off of the starting lineup right at all. So besides this, this weekend, so yeah, for Ellie Bicklemyer too, to jump back into that spot. And I mean, she's been in and out obviously this season on that right side position. So she got in there, was pretty efficient with what she got and I think the other thing that's impressive is, I mean, the way that Kendra spread it, I think, I mean, you look number-wise and efficiency-wise of who's really going to put the ball down, and I think she hit the people that are confident and can score, if that makes sense. You know, the people that are going to put balls away, it wasn't like, let's set somebody a ton of balls and hopefully, you know, we'll kind of get something rolling. It was like, okay, they've got enough. Let's sprinkle in a few to our right side. Let's spread it out and just keep the blockers honest.
0: Yeah, it was not production by volume. It was everyone was efficient she had and she just basically could just share the load essentially she's like all right you know they got to kill here now it's your turn now it's your turn now it's your turn and i mean to everyone's credit they were dialed in and they all put the ball down at a pretty high clip so uh the ellie Bickelmeyer mentioned is a good way to segue into the villanova match because she had her best match in a blue jay uniform hit 500 on 18 swings had 11 kills um pearson Booth said, you know, after both matches, actually talking about Ellie, that she recently had a cortisone shot in her shoulder. So, um, you know, maybe some of the inconsistencies in her performance earlier in the year could be attributed to how long she's been dealing with that shoulder injury. And obviously the cortisone shot has made that feel a lot, lot better, uh, you know, by Kirsten's testimony. So, um, I don't know. It's just good to see her kind of step up because – like you said without Anne-Marie Remus who's been a reliable right side option for them you know it's you're, you're it's a question mark right like okay what's what's that what's the offense going to look like this weekend without one of their t- key cogs and Ellie stepped up in both matches i mean i think you know she had 222 against Georgetown so not like blow you away numbers but i thought you know she had timely kills timely block touches against the Hoyas that you know, allowed Clayton to kind of just keep momentum and clinch sets. And the same thing was carried over from Villanova. I thought her blocking was really good. Her and, you know, whether it was Kiara or Keanu or Kendra, whoever she was combining with there it was, I thought her touches were really consistent and obviously her offense was, was at that level too. And then Kiara Reinhardt was really good as well. You know, both of those players who have had kind of up and down seasons, right I think you're starting to see I mean Ellie this weekend came on but Kiara has kind of like been two or three weekends now where she's really starting to look like Kiara again and I don't know I you know a couple of weeks ago in the presser Kirsten mentioned that this team hadn't quite hit its stride yet you didn't feel like it was clicking all the way because you can kind of get a sense of that when it is this this weekend felt like a maybe a a, a Potential first step towards what that looks like, don't you think? And especially when you look at the way they played in both of these matches this weekend, maybe.
1: Yeah, I think as far as like building confidence, I think, I mean, Ellie Buckelmeyer is a really good example. I mean, she was somewhat efficient, right? In the first match of the weekend. And then the second match, she kind of figured it out you know, and we heard Kirsten talk about how she can be so good moving shots around and keeping defenses on their toes and things. And I don't think we really saw that consistently in any of the matches. And then this match, this most recent match, I thought, you know, she did a good job of diversifying what she's doing. And a lot of the hitters did. I mean, this weekend when you're feeling good offensively. A lot of the times you're moving shots around and you're making defenses have to guess where they have to go. Right. So I think just from the standpoint of feeling confident in all of your hitters, too, for Kendra, this was a really good sample size of how we can spread offense efficiently and have people be threats on, you know, every side of the net, whether it's outside, right side, or coming down the middle.
0: Did uh, This might be a tough one for you to tee up or for you to hit after I tee it up, but because it's kind of... um... You know, it's kind of a wide sample. You'd have to think back and try to remember some things. But did connection look better to you this weekend? Because it kind of did to me. Like, you just didn't see many, you know, uh, situations where the timing was off on certain sets or, you know, balls just kind of get whiffed and, you know, the, just it just looked like the connection was at a better level than it's been. Especially when you pair it back-to-back matches, I thought both matches, it was pretty consistent more consistent than it's been throughout the season with multiple hitters. Like, did, what's what's your read on that? How did you feel about setter-hitter connection, especially as you look across the board, not necessarily with, you know, Ava or Kiana, who she normally goes to a lot, you know?
1: Yeah, I think it looked good, I mean, for the most part. Obviously, like, this weekend, I think what's impressive about it is you don't have Anne-Marie Remus in there. You have now another true right side in there, which they've been running kind of that – triple middle type of look where they have a true middle and then people running slides as a right side that are actually middle. So for them to adjust, I think, and for it to be as efficient and as clean, like you said, the the connection looked clean. And from that standpoint, a lot of that is just communication when you have things running in a different way than you've been doing it the last couple of weeks. So for me, that was really impressive. And I, I mean, I didn't notice many times where I thought a ball was like underset or overset or the connection wasn't quite there. And I also think um, Kendra connects pretty well with Kiara Reinhardt on those true like middle attacks for the most part. I mean, they're running her behind a little bit behind her head and kind of a ball that hangs a little bit more. That's maybe not so quick. And I think that fits what both Kendra and Kiara do well and just like the speed of Kiara's arm and that kind of stuff. So I think they're just trying to figure out those little like nuances of how does a hitter best perform, you know, is her arm swing maybe a little bit more long or is it quick or does she like a ball to have a little bit of hang on it or do I need to pump it into her really quick? So it's those little things. I think they're starting to figure out now.
0: Meg, I can't remember a middle connection. This, this, this good since you were playing, I really, I mean, (laughs) I'm, I'm serious. Like, cause we've talked about it the last couple of years, like the, just, you know, the middle attack hasn't been there from a consistent standpoint, you know, I mean, even when you get good matches, it's like in the, your, your middle's hitting 280 320 you know, nothing like where it's like, Oh yeah. The middle can go off and hit 450 one night. You know, it didn't feel like that was as consistent as it was back when like you were playing Lauren Smith, Marissa Wilkinson, like, you know, and Lydia and Madeline are setting those balls and it feels like you've got true, you know, true pin to pin type of offense where it's like, where defense is like, what do we take away here? Like we have to it's basically a guessing game, you know? So I I love the Kiana Kiara middle situation. I mean, I just love it. Cause I they're both they're they both can terminate a high clip. And I just think what it does for your offense when you have options that a like Kiara is better in the middle, right? You talked about like her her the balls she gets are different than the ones Kiana can put down. And then Kiana is yeah. really dangerous on the slide. Like So it's not just diversification in terms of positions, but it's what those players in those positions can do. So you have, like if you try to take away Kiana, which I think Villanova did put double block in front of her to start the match on Sunday. You have Kiara who can become a problem because she's either getting one-on-one in the middle or nothing. You know what I mean? Just times where she's going up and you're running with Kiana and she has, like, a wide-open donut to just put the ball in. Or she can go cross to, like, that shallow zone. Well, I guess – is that five on the other side of the court there? I can't really – I always yeah. forget this. But, you know, she has that shallow, like, line shot where she can, like, go cross court and just pepper the line, you know. Or Kiana on slide, like, whichever, whichever the block's going. Like, it's really tough from a defensive standpoint to stop that because both of those hitters can be really efficient and they're really good at putting the ball down when they get a set, you know.
1: Yeah. And I think right now we're seeing the evolution of, we have to set the hitter. We, As much as we want to set the spot and set the the called set, right? You have to adapt. And I think Kendra's continued to get better at that. And we're seeing some hard work on her part of kind of trying to figure that out because I don't think, you know, the past couple of years, obviously she's a great volleyball player. I mean, she's done a great job for Creighton setting, but it's, there's been some things that are nuanced about being a setter, like just, you know, setting the actual hitter and trying to figure out what everyone likes that sometimes the connection wasn't there. And I think we're starting to see that get cleaned up a little bit.
0: I just, uh, and I love the way Kiara is playing right now. I mean, I think you talked, she talked about it in the post-match presser. I guess this would be yesterday now, but you know, when asked about her kind of like where her confidence is at right now. And I think, you know she talked a lot about the support of her teammates both on the court and off whether she's playing or not and i think that's kind of like a little bit of a tell with where she was at confidence wise cuz when that's the kind of like the building block of it um you know that i guess that to me it's probably like she didn't necessarily have a ton of belief in herself at some state at some state of the season you know and i think having her teammates kind of be uplifting and You know, just kind of positive influences around her, and kind of like encouraging her to kind of just stick to her game and do what she does because she's a good volleyball player, and like hoping that would find itself somewhere. And I think she has found herself again. You know what I mean? That's just my read on it. But it just looks like she's playing like that player we saw at the end of the freshman of her freshman year um, during the COVID year, and then at times last year too. Um, And I'm it makes me curious about what actually. Like Creighton's ceiling becomes if she is like, if she just truly believes that she's that player again. You know what I mean? Cause you know what? I mean, doesn't it just look like her confidence is at a different level right now? You know, with her energy on blocks and kills, it looks like she just has more belief in herself right now. I, that's, I don't know any way to, other way to put it.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I think the thing for me is, I mean, you can come in and play the middle position and kind of just fly under the radar. But for me, I think she's coming in and making an impact and being an energy player too. So she's doing things. I mean, she's putting balls down. She's getting kills. She's getting block touches, getting big blocks, like making a true impact. You know, she's not just in there to be in there right. And to play the position, but she's in there to make an impact and the energy too that. She brings the spark that she can bring for the team, I think it's a lot of those things, too, that for me are really fun to watch. And it's fun to watch how the energy of the team can change when somebody comes in and just kind of lights a fire for people. Um, And I think that's something Creighton needs. I mean, we've talked about that, too, just the personalities of players um, on Creighton's team this year and how, you know, a lot of them are very like steady eddy people. But sometimes they need that spark in somebody to kind of like kick him in the butt and be like, we got to go, right? We need to finish games. And we've seen, you know, we've talked about finishing games and um, letting games get away by a few points. So it's that sort of energy that Creighton, I think needs to get a little bit more of a master on just on the long-term of finishing sets, finishing games um, and just continually having that um, tenacity to finish games out. I'm
0: going to touch on that in a second, but one more on Kiara uh, because you know, I think to your point about how the the impact she has on her teammates, I think I see it in, this is, I don't know, this might be a reach, so I apologize, but like, it's not necessarily in the kills or blocks. I think when she gets kills or blocks, she has a lot of, she has a lot of pop. Like she turns around and she just screams in the other five teammates faces. Like you can't. You can't help but, like, be energetic because she is energetic. You know what I mean? You talked about it on the last podcast last weekend. Like, her energy is different. When she gets a kill, everyone knows she just got a kill. When she gets a block, everyone knows she just got a block. And the other part of it is, too, when she is next to someone who gets a block, she will like, shove them or, like, scream in their face. And, like, she is really out there trying to get, like, light a fire on every play. And I think you feel that. And the other part of it for me that you see the energy with her and how it infects the team is, like, when she's playing defense or when she's bump setting, like, she doesn't just go out there and when she goes back behind the service line and then just, like, stand in the middle and just, like, let a ball get by her and, you know, sub out. He, like, tries to get that ball up. She tries to play. She tries to be a volleyball player, you know. Some middles will, like, serve and then get out there and get scored on and then leave, you know what I mean? she She doesn't want to leave the court when she's serving. She wants to stay in that rotation. She wants to pass her position. She wants to defend her position. You know, there's just so many moments where she's getting the second ball or where she's getting the first ball. And you can see kind of like that fire in her eyes. Like, she's determined to make that play. And when she does make it, the energy that you feel from the bench when she does make that play, you can tell, like, she is a spark. Like, she is one of the sparks on this team.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I think, I mean, yeah, we've talked about it. They need that spark. They need somebody who's going to be really competitive and have that competitive spirit. And like you said, I mean, she has that competitive spirit, whether, whether she's serving, digging, you know, passing, whatever she's asked to do, she's ready to come in and give it her all. And I mean, she was in a hard position this year too, obviously they wanted a different look in that middle position and she was on the bench for a long time. So that confidence part of it, I'm sure, I mean, your confidence takes a hit if, you know, you're not really asked to play the position that you've played in a somewhat consistent role, right, the past couple of years. So for her to try to figure out, okay, what can I be better at? How can I work my way into the lineup? And I think her energy is a big part of that. I mean, obviously you have to perform and you have to compete, be competitive, do those things that you have to do to start right and to play in a consistent role on a team. But For her to bring the energy and that, I think the coaches, when they look at that, they're like, we need to get her on the court, and it's paid off for them the last couple of weekends when she's out there.
0: For sure. And now, you know, what makes me kind of curious now is, like, I I don't know what that rotation looks like anymore. Because, like you said, like, when she – when Anne-Marie got the spot, they tried to kind of make – like, see if Kiara could steal the right-side spot. That was a little bit inconsistent the first few weeks, right? Now it feels like MB one and MB two are Kiana and Kiara in my mind. I, I could be wrong. It could change again, but it just feels like the level they're playing at and the way they complement each other as middles. I feel like the right side position is now between Ellie and Amarie, which is kind of like weird how it shifted a little bit, you know? Because I mean, the weekend that Ellie had, she played well, and her shoulder is obviously feeling a lot better. Um, so I don't know. I feel like the position battles have shifted a little bit to the to a degree. So I'm curious to see. How it plays out when, you know, when Amory's healthy, when Ellie's healthy, when if Kiara and Kiana are still playing at a high level. Also, when Nora Sis is back to being six rotation, if she gets to that point, like it all of a sudden feels like this offense that we've been talking about being a little bit choppy and being a little bit inconsistent now has almost like too many. Too many options to figure out who to play and what what the what it looks like on a given night. You know, just a little interesting wrinkle. I'm curious to see how that goes going forward. I don't really have an opinion on it right now, other than I feel like Kiana and Kiara are like, I think Creighton. Play, I think Creighton is a different team with them as their middles because that's, I think they're just naturally good at those spots. You know what I mean? Um, to your point though about end game and kind of like taking over sets, just as kind of it kind of reinforces what you've been saying about Kiara being a little bit of a spark and kind of that being a needed personality on the team, you know, because otherwise it's Ellie Bolton, but she only plays defense, right? Like you can't get – you don't have a spark at the net that you can like yeah. pinpoint, right? It's it's basically got to be it's, – it's what Kiara has brought. Um, the Georgetown match was – or the Villanova match, excuse me, was really interesting because the first 25 rallies of each set uh Creighton hit 250, Nova hit 097. The rest of each set, if you combine them all, like I think it was 21 rallies in one, um, 18 rallies in two, and 14 rallies in three. So smaller sample sizes than the twenty five, but I just like to break it up. I feel like twenty five is when kind of like teams settle in a little bit. Um so I just marked it there. Uh, the rest of those sets, though, Creighton hit 465, Nova hit 047. So just it went from like comfortable and in control to dominant. What did you make of the shift in each set, the way Creighton kind of took over each one?
1: Yeah, and I think it was mainly like energy. We've talked about that energy, the persistence just to finish and not give up points. And we've seen them struggle a little bit to give up strings of two or three points at times and to not then return it and score, you know, on the flip side of that. So I just thought they did a good job of stringing points together um, better than they done you know a lot this season Um, just having that urgency obviously we talk about urgency to finish games and when you hit 2020 that urgency needs to be at an all-time high right of we've we've put in all the work and I think that's a frustrating part looking back at a lot of the sets that they've lost that it was neck and neck at 2020 and all of a sudden oh it's we lost 21-25 right so for that the end game of we need to score five points I mean it's a race to score these five points and they did a good job of putting the hammer down of hey we're gonna go out and score and enforce our will I mean we've talked about that too as far as like not waiting for a team to make errors when you get to that point but going after it being aggressive and they did those things really well I thought
0: yeah that feels like creating volleyball right like you know it's not it hasn't always been like domination, even though the record is dominant. It's usually like to your point, like when you get to end game, we're taking this like
1: mm-hmm. aggressive
0: swings an aggressive mindset, energy, um, confidence. It feels like Creighton kind of like loses its swagger a little bit at end game at certain points. Like, I mean, you go back to the Marquette match and I know they're, you know, I don't think either of us expected Creighton to win that match without Nora and the way Marquette was playing. But the fact of the matter is, they're up twenty to eighteen and one, and it was twenty twenty in game two. So I know set three was probably all Marquette's, right? Like that really wasn't an opportunity for Creighton to win that one late. But one and two, you're it's zero zero at end game essentially. So it became like you said, a race to five. Like you know, what's the who's going to be the team that takes over this match, takes over this set? And even against DePaul, to your point about not allowing teams to go on runs that we saw this weekend. Where Georgetown went on one and it didn't happen until late in three. Um, the DePaul match to me felt like I, I bet it felt frustrating from Creighton's point of view because Creighton was always the first team to kind of land a punch in most, in the especially in the first two sets. But DePaul would always answer, you know, it'd be like timeout, 3 0 run, 4 0 run, response, make Creighton take a timeout, regroup. It felt like a really seesaw type of battle where both teams were like going on scoring runs in response to another one this weekend Creighton sustained all that they went on a scoring run they went on another they went on another and when Villanova scored two in a row or Georgetown scored two in a row, they sided out and they went on another run themselves. You know what I mean like you look at the end of the Villanova match um that I mean all those sets were neck and neck probably through what thirty rallies or whatever and then Creighton just stepped on the gas and set three was a, a kind of a dramatic example of it because i think it was 13 12 or 14 13 and then creighton won 11 of the last 12 rallies finished on an 8-0 run like i felt like creighton volleyball didn't it where it's just like all right time to win time to wrap this up like pedal to the floor let's go let's be who we are and play creighton volleyball and get this get this job done you know yeah
1: they did a nice job of finishing in that sense That I thought and I mean the thing is teams are going to go on runs against you obviously I mean it's just the name of the game it's how volleyball goes it's always a swing in momentum and people are going on runs but I mean as much as you can minimize runs but then at the same time can you answer somebody's run I think that's the part that sometimes this season hasn't quite happened and they let things you know go on and on and on until it's like man we've got a huge hole to dig ourselves a out good of. Example
0: of that, right? Yeah. and we
1: do it you know and that's that's the thing um you don't want to be in those positions where you play well and then you let a team catch up surpass you and then you're like okay now it's time to go right it's like that step of oh, okay now let's go but that point of just, like, keeping your foot on the pedal the whole game, if it's tight, it's tight, and then hopefully you get a run towards the end of the game and finish it out.
0: For sure. uh, We have to talk about Destiny to Dom Simpson, though, because there's, I don't know, I feel like there's a, been a level switch here, not in terms of, you know, she's playing uh at a different, you know, just from a different mindset, but I think her, she's getting better. Uh, so we talked about last weekend how she finished set three with seven kills on eight swings and only and didn't make an error, right? Which is ridiculous. That's like an absolute Jaylee Winters level heater, you know. Um, then she went out against Georgetown, had eight kills on 15 swings, only one error. Uh, set like she started out rough against Villanova, she had no kills on her first five swings and she made three errors. I think she got blocked twice and then she just missed on a cross court shallow shot um, for her third error. After that, he was eight kills, no errors, 14 swings the rest of the match. So she, that's, I'm like, just if you just take those six and a half sets and take away the start of set one against Nova, she's hitting 595 on 37 swings. That's and it's over a, a like now a two week span. It's not just like one heater, one match. She was the kid, like you know, where like Keeley Davis against Marquette where it's thirty-one kills and just feed her until she just throws up, basically. Like she's she's just gonna keep killing the ball. Like this is three matches, six and a half sets, two weekends, super clean volleyball. Um, it just feels like she's gone up a level. Like, not only from her confidence standpoint, but from dot diversity Um, maybe she's just reading the game a little bit when she goes up there like okay I can't just like swing hard otherwise it's gonna get blocked into my face like I have to be a little bit savvy when I go up based on what I'm seeing based on how the block is I don't know like to me I feel like she's leveled up because that's a that's 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 an impressive stretch to me I'm curious to see how it translates going forward but right now it feels like it's a it's a different level
1: to your point, I think we have a good sample size now. Um, Obviously, in four matches where she played consistently. And obviously, I think one of the big questions for her and getting playing time, you know, even to start the season was, okay, we have to stay low air. And I, you know, yeah. she was a little bit high air, a little bit errant when she first got that starting position, which obviously it's a lot of load to carry when you're just kind of thrown into it and not expecting to carry so much on the outside pin. But, but for her to have like you said a good stretch of matches now where she's gotten a good amount of attempts right she's been second usually in attempts all of these games and she's had to deal with some junk balls throwing different shots over being smart I think that's the thing she's trying to figure out different ways to score and we saw that with Ava Martin come in you know when she was a freshman too it's like she was a little bit errant she was trying to figure it out what will score how can we go up against a bigger block when you make that jump from high school to college. And I think you're seeing that growth of a little bit of maybe a click in her mind of, okay, this is what's open here. This is how I can use a block. This is where I can tip the ball or think about how defense is adjusting against me. So it's been cool to kind of see that growth of, I think more mentally than anything of thinking through what's open and kind of knowing, feeling it out of what's the team going to do against me.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, I mean, you certainly experience this, um, yourself, but like, you know, when you go from playing high school and you're a D1 caliber volleyball player, especially a hitter, right? And especially at Creighton, where you're usually, you know, you're going to be playing a, a gaudy, a tough schedule. You're going to be playing some really quality teams, all Americans on the other side of the net from you. Like in high school, you can probably get away with just like going up and swinging hard and like being physically o- overpowering, right? And I think there's a point with freshmen when they come in that they like realize you can't just go up you like go after four hands and get a kill like you're just going to get that blasted back in your face you know what i mean like so there's probably a transition point for a freshman where you try to do that because it's it's what you know and then you go through the failure and it saps your confidence a bit and maybe you're a little bit unsure of yourself and then this and then all of a sudden the light bulb goes off You're like okay I can just, if I just slow the game down a little bit, you know, and try to just like think my way through certain situations. And if I'm going up here, you know, just kind of like listen to my team communicating, whether it's um, a DS behind me telling me where to hit it or just what I see in front of me in terms of the tempo I need to put on this ball, how hard I need to hit it, where I need to hit it. I just feel like that's a natural progression for a freshman, right? Like a someone who's playing D1 volleyball for the first time Like you you have to, you have to, again, essentially you don't junk what you were in high school. Like you don't just throw it all to the side and try to be a different player, but you have to be a little bit more diverse. And you have to kind of figure that out at some point, right? Like that's probably what every freshman goes through, isn't it?
1: Yeah. I think it's, I mean, learning how to use a block. I think that's the biggest thing coming from high school is the blockers are a lot bigger and they're a lot smarter. You know, they know what's going to happen where you're going to throw a ball over and I mean, in that sense, too, defense is a lot faster. You can't just tip a ball into open court and nobody's going to touch it for the most part. Right. I think when you play good teams, you've got people that are scrappy and going to you know, fly around and get balls. You can't just throw junk balls over. So, yeah, I think it's just learning different ways to attack using edges of the block. I don't think that's something that people come in knowing how to do at a really high level Um, and just understanding scout too. I mean, that's different coming into college. You know, a lot of times you scout a lot more, figure out where defenses are. And they also know you a little bit better because they know where you like to hit, what you like to do. If you're out of system, where are you going to hit 85% of the time? So it's kind of learning how to adjust even in matches too of, okay, this team's taking this away from me. What else can I do with this ball?
0: Yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm, I I love the way she's playing right now because she's another high energy kid and I don't know I, I just like'm I'm, I'm like trying to figure out what this offense looks like if they've got all these people flying high like and then you get Nora back it's gonna be kind of wild to see down the stretch but it's a weird it's kind of like a weird path Creighton's taking this season because they've obviously played really good volleyball when they were healthy but even when they were winning, you can still see some things that weren't quite sharp, right? We obviously talked about the right side attack for weeks. Like that's going to be a problem if it doesn't get figured out because teams are going to essentially just key in on fewer tendencies that Creighton has at its disposal. Now, if you factor in like a right side attack and then, oh, by the way, you get this freshman who's got a really powerful arm and she's feeling good and she kind of gets some confidence going. Um, Oh, you have QR Reinhardt, who's a veteran middle You know, now she's playing with a lot of confidence and swagger. Kiana is just Kiana every single night. Steady Eddie, super consistent. Um, Ava Martin is the same way, has turned into a six rotation, reliable six rotation, where she's arguably, you know, the most consistent, maybe best passer on the team, aside from Sunday. Um, But, like, you just, like, it feels like Creighton's kind of, like, knocking on the door of what hitting your stride looks like. And... I don't know, mid-October feels like a good time to try to start doing that, right? Like, you want to be playing your best at the end of the season. When does that start? I mean, it feels like championship volleyball starts happening, like, right around this time of year, right? Where you want to start understanding what that looks like on a daily basis. Um, As someone who's kind of been through that process, do you see any signs that Creighton is, you know, getting close to, as Kirsten said, like, clicking?
1: Yeah, I think so. And to your point, I mean, they're almost halfway through conference play, regular season conference play, which is crazy to think about. Um, But yeah, I just think offensively, obviously, that was a big question as far as efficiency and just consistency over multiple games. They've had obviously games where they've done some good things. Connections have looked good, but they haven't quite had that streak of consistently playing at a high level in that regard. Um, So, yeah, just to Get your all-around game, you know, kind of up to a different level. And obviously every day you try to get better and better. And this team started out playing some really good defense this season and doing really well in serve receive and those sorts of things. And then the offense sort of had to work its way in, you know, to that level of what they needed it to be at. And I think they are starting to sort of hit where their all-around game is continuing to rise, you know, the level is continuing to rise and hopefully it will continue to get better and better. And um Norris is obviously a big question as far as is she back full time and those sorts of things. And like you said, who do they move around? Who gets dropped out of that starting lineup? Who takes that right side position on? So those are big question marks in the next couple of weeks that I'm sure we'll try to see how it just plays out and, um, you know, how they're most consistent and what energy they need on the court, all those things of like, yes, we need people in positions to play the roles, but do we need somebody on the court that's going to bring a ton of energy and be a consistent blocking threat and take less offense on, you know? So it's, it's those things of just moving the puzzle pieces around and finding what is the best lineup? Because we've talked about how they have depth, but a lot of the question marks have been, okay, what is like truly our best lineup? Because we need to kind of figure it out right at this point of as far as, okay, what are we going to go with every single night, and how can that group of people get better and better playing next to each other in the long run of this season, which is, you know, almost half over.
0: Yeah, and I don't know. Are you as curious as as I am about what this next couple of weeks looks like? Because well, let's just take a peek at it real quick, because I feel like, I don't know if we've talked about it on the pod. I know we've talked about it, like texting, like the, the the home road splits are kind of like crazy right now, aren't they? Like when you look at what Creighton's hitting efficiency looks like at home in their own gym versus what it is on the road. So I'm not quite sure what to make of that yet, but I feel like that's the next thing I'm curious to see is if they can go on the road, you know, these next two weekends and play the same level of clean volleyball they played you know, against Seton Hall, Georgetown, and Villanova now. Like, I, just just off the just off rip. Like, the Butler and Xavier matches were both sub two hundred. Then they hit two twenty five against St. John's and three eighty eight against No or Seton Hall. Then they went on the road against Marquette and DePaul, and again hit sub two hundred. And then back home for Georgetown, they hit damn near five hundred and then three forty. Like, that's that's starting to become a bigger sample size now, to the point where you're like, all right what is the deal with the home road splits? You know what I mean? So I'm kind of like, that's why I'm like, I'm glad they have four road matches in a row coming up now, especially the rematches against Georgetown and Villanova, quick turnarounds, because now we get to see how much of this weekend was real and tangible versus how much of it was just Georgetown and Villanova caught them on a super hot night and couldn't do anything about it. You know, aren't you a little bit curious about that?
1: Yeah, I am. I'm interested to see, like you said, I'm interested to see how they play Villanova at Villanova, how they play Georgetown at Georgetown, because, I mean, sometimes those road matches, you don't get quite as much juice, I guess, you know, the energy in the gym, that sort of stuff. We've talked about, I mean, the crowds and the differences of playing on the road before, but just to see sort of the sample side by side, yeah. Okay, how do we adapt and can we be efficient against Villanova or is it just, you know, that we were super hot for a weekend and then our level's going to drop again? Um so yeah, obviously, I mean, you played really well offensively. You're feeling good about offense. Can that sort of bleed into the next weekend? Can we be efficient against teams that maybe are not at the highest level in the conference, right? I mean, their true test of, like, playing tough teams isn't going to be this road weekend, so I'm interested to see – or the next two road weekends, so I'm interested to see how they respond offensively. Can they keep that at a really high level like they did this weekend?
0: Yeah, I'm really interested. Let's take a look at the Big East standings because those got really interesting too. Um, As we we, uh, tease in the opening – uh, the Big East title race is kind of back on. I I think I don't know if we said it on the last pod. I I know I was thinking it as the weekend played out, so I might have said it on the last pod that the Big East title race is over. Um, because I just did not see, I just didn't see Marquette like losing. Um, I just thought they were playing at a really high level, but guess what? Uh, St. John's finally, you know, walked the walk uh, a little bit. So. And they inserted themselves into the race too. You know what's funny about St. John's is guess what their RPI is at right now? 45. They like, they're like, if they keep playing well, they might be an at large team. You know what I mean? There might be a three bid league this year. I'm starting to like, I'm starting to think like, wow, the Big East is maybe coming on a little bit. It helps that the Big Ten is falling apart um, outside of like, you know, Nebraska, Wisconsin, Penn State. Who else do I want to get credit for? Definitely not Ohio State. Not Minnesota or Purdue. Um, Like it just feels like the Big Ten is not Big Tenning this year. Um so I don't know. Like someone could come in and steal those spots, you know? True.
1: Um,
0: so right now the Big East Standings, it's a four team race. Uh St. John's and Marquette are seven and one, both in conference. St. John's uh St. John's only losses to Creighton and Marquette's only losses to St. John's. Xavier is six and two, and Creighton is six and two, and obviously, you know, uh, I think Xavier's losses are to Nova and St. John's, and they got swept in both of those. But they beat Creighton, and then Creighton also lost to Marquette. So they've kind of already, like, beaten each other up a little bit, that top four. Um, so it is, like, shaving out to be a fun race for a change in the Big East. Normally it's Creighton, Marquette, and everyone else, right? Or even in most years it's just Creighton and everyone else. Um, this year, like, there's some excitement. There's actually, like, a race for the Big East title right now. I don't know. It's like, it's new and different, I guess. Uh, How do you feel about it? Like seeing that, I mean, Marquette beating losing is to someone other than Creighton was always going to be the key to it. Right. That's kind of like how it shakes out. Like Creighton and Marquette are probably going to split with each other. What happens the rest of the way, like who can, who can hold serve and who can't usually determines the title. Right. So Marquette losing brings them back to the field and it kind of sets up Everything else for whoever wants to take it. Right. Because Xavier and St. John's are going to play again. Marquette's going to play Xavier. Uh, Creighton's going to play all three of these teams again. Uh, they'll get two of them at home. So like the is there for any of these four teams to grab it. How does it feel to you to see like a team race in the Big East for a change?
1: Yeah, I think it's good for the league, obviously. I mean, to have some excitement behind it, it's not just a wash, obviously, when you're not even halfway through conference. I think that part of it's exciting to kind of have the the question marks and then to look, I mean, for Creighton to look at, hey, we can play these teams at home, right? We can play Marquette at home and have that. Um, but obviously, when they go to St. John's, I mean, Marquette lost there, and that can be a kind of tough place to play. So, just adds I think a little bit of fire to it and um, that competitiveness too between teams obviously is just fun to have because you don't always have that every single year
0: yeah well I mean I think to your point there it's like when you're only playing the spoiler and you actually don't have anything to play for (laughs) motivation kind of runs dry when you're like losing 25 to 13 in set one like you don't really want to go out set two and like go after it right because you're like all right whatever this team's gonna roll us. We're not playing for anything except to. We were hoping to ruin their weekend, but now they clearly aren't gonna let that happen. But like, if you're down, if you lose a set to a team that is kind of like right around you in the standings, all of a sudden you're like, hey, hold on a minute, like we got something to play for too. Let's go after this team, you know. Let's not let them roll roll over us, you know. So that's what I'm fascinated by because now it's like there's there's fewer spoilers and more teams that have something to play for, and I think going to six even though I hate the conference tournament and you and I disagree on its value and its, its impact and importance, having it at six like also gives the teams in the middle something to fight for too throughout the year where they don't just like lay down for the top teams like because you're fighting for a spot because that Big East tournament for those teams becomes the only way they can potentially extend their season either into an NIVC bid or, you know, a potential hot weekend that turns into an automatic bid in the tournament, you know, so. I like the way the league's shaking out right now because, you know, even some of those teams in the middle have knocked off like, you know, some of the teams around them and played tight with some of the teams at the top too. So, I'm 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 fascinated to see how this turns out because it's very unique. It's not usually how the big east goes. Um, the re- let's just lay out the rest of the month for these teams though too, because uh, it is gonna. I do feel like this this race has a chance to kind of stay at three or four going into November, which I think will really ramp it up then. Like right now, St. John's, the rest of October has road matches against Georgetown and Villanova, and then they get Xavier at home and Butler at home. So that's – they'll play Xavier as one of the top four teams. Marquette also has Xavier, but they're on the road. And they're at Butler too, which is usually a tough place to play sometimes, especially for Marquette. And then they got Providence and UConn at home. And then Xavier has DePaul – and Marquette at home, and then they're at St. John's and Seton Hall. So Xavier, of these four teams right now, is by far the toughest rest of the month. To the point where, like, if they actually come through it, either at worst three losses or still at two, then they're all of a sudden one of the teams you might want to really watch out for in November because the schedule might get easier for them. I don't think they play Creighton until, like, the last their last game either. So that rematch will happen on their last day of the season, so... Um, they could really put themselves in good position to to stay in this title hunt if they have a good next two weeks. Creighton's next two weeks are a little bit easy. Um, they're on the road, so that's never easy. But it's UConn and Providence who are the two worst teams in the league. And then it's the rematches against Villanova and Georgetown the week after that. So I think that's the weekend after this next weekend will be the, the tough one for Creighton because it'll be opponents that they just played. And historically, like, Meg has talked about ad nauseum on this pod Villanova and Georgia are tough places to play aren't they
1: yeah I think they are I mean just for different reasons I think I mean we've talked about it Villanova can be a little bit feisty and it's a small arena and their coaches I mean super into it and will create energy for his team and they'll just be ready to go I think they're always ready to go at home especially and then georgetown it's usually a little bit of a quieter crowd there's not many people in the arena so you have to create a lot of energy in there so it'll be interesting kind of two different sides of the coin i guess as far as energy in the gym and that sort of thing goes so it's different challenge on back-to-back nights for crane to kind of bring the energy and respond um to villanova just being ready to go
0: for sure uh just Kind of looking over Creighton's resume here as we wrap this pod, um, Omaha has caught fire in the summit league, they're just tearing through everybody. Um, so their RPI is actually up to 128 right now. And if the, I mean, if they keep winning, they're gonna get into the top 100 for sure. Uh, this weekend, Creighton will face their only two sub 200 opponents, so their RPI right now is 17. It might take a hit even with dominant wins this weekend. Um, that's just the way their RPI goes, but. I don't know. Like, Purdue's not doing Creighton very many favors right now. I think they just beat Ohio State, who I don't think is very good, but the country does. The country thinks Ohio State's very good, so that's a that's a quality win for Purdue, I guess. Um, but Purdue's RPI is at 25 right now, and Minnesota's is at 38. So those are two road wins I'm really surprised aren't holding up, like, as well as I thought they should. I mean, I thought Minnesota would be – I don't know. I thought they'd be top 10 to 15 at worst this year. And Purdue, I thought would be comfortably top 25 all year, even from an RPI standpoint. And they just aren't. So I don't know right now, Minnesota and Purdue are going the wrong direction. Uh, St. John's and UNO are going the right direction. So maybe those, I don't know if UNO can catch into the top 50 range, even if they get hot, but you know, St. John's right now is in the top 50 and it looks like they're playing really good volleyball right now. So, You know, if they have one or two more losses the rest of the year, like say they lose only to at at Marquette and at Creighton, I think they'll stay top 50, um, which will be good for Creighton's resume. Iowa State's been pretty consistent all year, so that's still a quality win for the Jays. Uh, It looks like Northern Iowa is doing Northern Iowa stuff, which is good for Creighton because, yeah, they're 9-0 in conference right now. (laughs) So, yeah, they're definitely holding up their end of the Northern Iowa bargain there. So that's a good win for the Jays. LSU and High Point are both top 75, which I think we both kind of expected them to be. you know, I don't think that we thought they would set the world on fire, but we thought we thought we that High Point would dominate their league and that LSU would have a good season. Um, right now they're actually terrible in conference, but their RPI is holding up because they play good teams. so um, yeah, if LSU could probably knock off like a Kentucky or a Tennessee or an Auburn, maybe even a banged up Florida, that'd probably like boost their numbers up a little bit and help Creighton, you know, with the ripple effect there. That's basically it. I don't know. Like Duke's now sub 80 Loyola is seven and two in conference. So they're getting right. I by Dayton, but they're not playing any good teams. So I don't know how much their RPI is going to help Creighton. Um, and then the only other top 100 big East team right now is Villanova. So, That was a long rambling segment, but that's kind of like a snapshot of Creighton's resume right now. It still feels like they can get a hosting spot. Like if they beat Marquette one or two more times and, um, yeah, don't lose any more in conference, I think. It's probably the number now, right? Six and two, it'd probably be hard they're only playing 18 matches in league this year. So if they go 15-3, and three, then, like, lose to Marquette in Milwaukee in the Big East tournament, they probably aren't hosting, right? Like, that's probably too many, don't you think?
1: Yeah, you- I feel like – I mean, you beat Marquette twice, and I think you've got it on lock. I think yeah. you beat them one more time. It's questionable.
0: Yeah. But, like, if you beat – I think if you beat St. John's on the road and finish the sweep, right, and then, like, win the series against Marquette, either are you either split it or you take it by beating them in Omaha and then beating them again in the tournament. Yeah. Um, I think that does the trick I, unless Minnesota and Purdue just like turn into who they should be. Right. I, I just think, cause if they're not going to, if they're not going to, if they're not going to, if they're going to keep going this direction, then that those wins are going to get like, are going to have less and less value on selection Sunday. Yeah. That's the problem. That's uh- the problem. Like we thought, we thought Minnesota and Purdue were going to be wins that held up all year. It had a lot of mileage for Creighton, right? And right now, it just seems like they're going the wrong direction. Yeah. So it's it'll it'll be tough for that to hold up. You know, when you're trying to make your case for a top 16 seed, and you don't, and you only have like maybe one top 25 win, that's a hard argument to make, I guess. You know.
1: Yeah, I I agree. I think I don't know. I really think you have to beat Marquette maybe twice, just based upon how the other teams are performing, but they've beaten yeah you know because those are the question marks of okay where are the teams that we that we beat that we thought would be decent wins for us and Mm -hmm. I don't know I mean a lot of the teams they've beaten I mean they're doing well like you said you and I um you know loyal uh they're doing great in their conference but their conference isn't super strong so Mm -hmm. and the same thing for UNL as far as the RPI and the as much movement as they can get, I don't know if they'd quite move up, you know, enough where it's gonna be a big contention of hey, we be you oh, this is a great one, right? Like to the Exactly.
0: Like, yeah, if you're like so, if you're a committee member and you're like, Okay, what's the difference maker in making Creighton a host versus like Dayton or something like that? Like is yeah. the UFO gonna do it? No, probably not, you know. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Did. We'll see the Big Ten though. Yeah, those two wins are not not doing much right now. I
0: feel like the Big Ten's having a down year this year. I don't know. I mean, I know they're going to get better because they're going to get USC, Oregon, Washington.
1: Yeah. You know,
0: next year, like I don't know how they're going to schedule all that, but they'll have a lot of depth. It just feels like the depth isn't there this year. I, I think the ACC might be the best league in the country right now, which is yeah. you know. So I I don't know. I'm just I, I'm surprised Minnesota's flopping the way they are like. They just don't even. They don't even look like a tournament team most nights, which is crazy to me. Because I thought you think that's a team that's like. Normally their floor is like elite eight, sweet sixteen. You know, like second weekend and out. And yeah, if they, if they're rocking, then they're like final four, national title, good, right? Like. This year, I'm. I don't even know, man. They're they're in trouble. So I don't know. Yeah, that's a that's. A, I think we kind of rambled at the end of there. That's my fault. Anything else you got, Meg? anything on your mind Creighton's Creighton volleyball specific
1: no I don't think so I feel like we covered most of it it's just we crazy did. that they've played so many matches in conference already
0: yeah it's flying by right
1: yeah it is
0: especially because like Nora's injury and whatnot you know like yeah five five weeks have gone by since she last played before we saw her this weekend that that time felt like it felt way shorter than that and until I looked at yeah. it, oh, God, she's been out five weeks that's 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 a long portion of the season right there, you know.
1: Yeah, it is a long. I mean, all the way back to those last preseason matches, which is crazy to think. Yeah. Yeah,
0: the Northern yeah. Iowa match was her last match before before Nova.
1: Yeah, that's, that's
0: just crazy. Yeah. All right, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to the podcast again. We always appreciate the listeners, everybody. Um, yeah, we'll be back at you again next weekend after Creighton. Uh, they have to go on the road against UConn and Providence who right now are holding down the cellar in the Big East so Creighton will be heavy favorites in those matches um, and yeah we'll talk to you again next weekend for Megan Epperson, I'm Matt DeMarinas thank you for tuning in hope you all have a good week